You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, if you please. Luke chapter 17. I'm just going to read to you verses 7 through 10 and give a few thoughts on this. um, Well, I guess it's sort of a parable that Jesus gives here and then an explanation. Luke chapter 17, starting at verse 7. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you've done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. If you take a look at the context of the Gospel of Luke, immediately preceding this, Jesus told his disciples some of the great works that would be possible for them in faith. And it's really a very encouraging, very upbuilding section. Just these wonderful things that that we can do, that we can accomplish for the Lord by great faith. But now I think Jesus adds some words that are intended to guard us from the pride that comes when we serve the Lord or when we are used by Him in some significant way. You know, I always think that it's an amazing thing that God would use any man. And the tendency is always to think that just because God uses a man, that somehow that man must be a holier or greater or more spiritual than just about anybody else. Pastors, you know what I'm talking about. Isn't it true that the people in your congregation automatically assume that you have a certain degree of spirituality or holiness just because you're on the platform teaching? Now, may I say, I hope that you do. I hope that you are a man of genuine holiness. I hope that you are a man of true uh, spiritual character. But we all know Standing on the platform and teaching behind a pulpit doesn't necessarily make it so. But yet there's this tendency for people to think so. And the one who receives that kind of uh, not necessarily earned respect, they they like receiving it. And the one who, um, who gives it finds that it gives them sort of comfort to give it. And we've got to admit, sometimes in the midst of all of that, there's times when God uses some very strange and messed up people. I mean, isn't that really the truth? You take a look at uh, people in the Old Testament. I mean, the greatest example is probably a man like Samson. And whatever you want to say about Samson, God mightily used that man, yet his own life was not right in many ways. And we look at other people throughout the history of the church who fit that same description. Even though I would love for you to think, if God is using me, it must be because I'm such an amazing man. 
you and I know that it's not necessarily the case. Now, I do want to point this out and make the point very strongly. Because God uses a strange or perhaps erring person, it does not for a moment justify their strangeness or their going off in a strange direction. Not at all. And they will have to answer for that before the king. I don't have any doubt of that whatsoever. Yet nevertheless, you've got to say that even in this midst, and this is sort of belonging to the context that goes before these words of Jesus, here, starting at verse 7 in the parable I just read to you, Jesus is speaking about serving God not so much in the spectacular things, not so much in mountain-moving, demon-casting-out, healing-the-sick kind of faith. Jesus speaks to us in these words about the accomplishments of what you might call very ordinary faith. Look at it there in verse 7. Having a servant plowing or tending sheep. What is more ordinary work than plowing a field or tending sheep? That is totally non-glamorous, completely ordinary work. And Jesus spoke of people who really serve. Listen, plowing may not be glamorous work, but it is hard work. Tending sheep, you know, they don't give a medal to the best uh, shepherd in the wild, but they do, they do understand that it takes a lot of faithfulness. It's hard work to farm the way that you should. It's hard work to do ministry the way that you should. And that's why he gives this analogy of either plowing a field or tending sheep. Now, I do want to remind you of something. These words of Jesus in Luke chapter 17, these words were not given to the multitude. These words were given to the disciples. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 17, it says, Then he said to the disciples. Jesus was not saying, If you want to be saved, then plow the field and tend the sheep. Those are words for disciples regarding their attitude about service. Well, look at what he says. He says there in verse 8, What's the master going to say when he comes home? Is the master going to say, oh, servant, let me, you know, serve you. Sit down and I'll prepare you. No, the master doesn't say that. Instead, when the master comes home from whatever his day was, he says, verse 8, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. You see, Jesus pictures a servant coming in from a hard day of work. He was either plowing or tending the sheep. And when the servant arrives home, the master doesn't compliment him or feed him or serve him or massage the servant's tired muscles. No, the master expects the servant to keep on serving inside the house. Hey, servant, there's more work for you to do. I want you to know this. One thing is really precious about this is it shows us that there's always something that we can do to serve our master, and there's always some way that we can do it. If you can't plow, then you can cook. If you can't tend sheep, then you can uh, prepare the master his food. There's always some way to be useful in God's kingdom. I, I, I think of that with the story of Hudson Taylor. You ever hear the story of Hudson Taylor in his older, declining years? He used to sit in a bed when he was no longer capable of any physical work, but obviously still alive. He used to sit in his bed with a great big map of China on the wall opposite his bed. 
And he used to just go through, and on that map, on that map of China, was marked their different mission stations and workers. And he used to do the work all day long of just praying for all those people. He said, look, I can't be out and about and doing the work as I once did it, but I can still serve my master. I can still be profitable in the work that God's given me to do. And the great truth of it is, is that even once we're done plowing the field, even once we're done tending the sheep, we come into the house and what? There's more for us to do. There is more for you to do as a servant of God. Now let me be very straightforward with you. For some of you men, that's music to your ears. Yes. Thank you, Lord. There's more for me to do. More opportunity. I'm still useful in your hand. There's still more that you want me to do. I believe that those are sweet words to the ears of a real servant. But to the servant has a bad attitude? Well, let me put it to you this way. When your teenager comes in from doing a morning of chores and you tell them that there's more for them to do, how do they react? They're, they're not exactly excited about it, are they? And listen, that's not how we should be. We should receive it with great news that there's more for us to do in God's kingdom. Listen, a servant may be tired in the work and need a season of rest. I don't deny that at all. I think we've all experienced that. And you may be at that place right now. There's nothing wrong with being tired in the work. But a true servant of God really doesn't get tired of the work. They want to serve and keep on serving. Now look, all of this service for Jesus is hard. It's difficult. It stretches us. Yet nevertheless, in this mini parable, Jesus gives us the right attitude to have about it. So again, you have this picture in your mind. You're out plowing the field. You're out tending the sheep. You come in. Instead of the master serving you, he says, hey, come on, give me my dinner. Do all that. But this tells us really the kind of attitude we should have. The attitude we should have is that it's his pleasure before our own. That it's his people before ourselves. That his name before my name. That's how it should always be. And he gives us these principles in the parable. But I got to say, I am thankful and amazed that Jesus himself did not act like this. Isn't this amazing? In other words, Jesus is the master who acted against everybody's expectation. And when the servant comes in after the hard day of plowing or tending the sheep, what does Jesus do for that servant? He washes his feet. He girds his loins and acts like a servant towards the servant. And I have to say, I understand totally what Jesus is getting at here. And I want to use it to set my heart in the right place. But at the same time, I rejoice that Jesus himself is not like the master that he painted in this own parable. And you could say that Jesus still serves his servants today. And we need to understand from this parable the attitude that we're supposed to have towards him as servants. But at the same time, we're so grateful for how Jesus loves to serve his servants. Now, towards others, we are to have the attitude of Jesus. To lead them by serving. I can imagine how this little parable that I'm highlighting for you here this afternoon could go terribly, terribly wrong. Terribly, terribly wrong. 
You go back home and at your next staff meeting, you start thinking of exponential amounts of work to put upon your staff and just say, well, look, this is what we learned from the parable. I don't care if you've been plowing the field. Now I want you to go out and do this other thing too. Just keep work, 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 work. No, no, no. I want you to notice towards others, we're to have the attitude of Jesus. We are to lead them by serving them. It would be a real shame if someone came away from this parable thinking that they should keep asking for more and more and more work from others in their ministry team and never thank them. Because that's what the master does here. He doesn't even thank his servant. He's not supposed to thank him. He's a servant. So we don't take this parable as a way instructing us how to relate to those we serve with. No, these words of Jesus were meant to affect ourself and our attitude towards him, not our attitude towards others. And look at the attitude that we should have. It's right there in verse 9. And I regard this as being very dramatic. He says this. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? Now, of course, the master doesn't thank the servant for doing the things that he should just do as a servant. You know, in that pre-Christian culture, the kind of kindness that we're more used to in our presently or christian influence culture was much different. You see, in the story, the servant had a duty... And all the work that he did towards the master was just a fulfillment of that duty. Let me bring it down to a very direct application to myself and to all of us. We don't serve Jesus inwardly demanding that he thank us or serve us. No. Now, it seems strange that Jesus would thank us in light of what he's already all done for us. Guys, do you understand that anything we do in ministry is just the smallest of joyful returns to our Savior for what he's already done for us? I I know, and I want to honor you and respect you as men who are diligent servants of the Lord. And I know you lay it out. I know you make sacrifices. I know you work hard. I know there's times when you or your families feel the sacrifices you make. And, and I'm just going to assume you do it all for Jesus and it's wonderful and all. But listen, I don't care who in this room believes they've made great sacrifices to serve the Lord. You've done nothing compared to what Jesus has done for you. Just nothing. There's no comparison. Matter of fact, I mean, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing? Collectively, all together, if you added together all the sacrificial service that each one of us has done together in this room and multiplied it by any exponential number you wanted to multiply it by, it still doesn't measure what the Son of God did for us, what He did in serving us. So we don't expect Him to thank us. It also seems strange that Jesus would thank me Considering all that I've left undone. Look, it's a wonderful thing to sense that God is using you. And, and matter of fact, some of us just, we, we really love that, don't we? We love to put ourselves in places where we can really feel like we are the instrument in the master's hand. And honestly, there's just nothing like that, is there? 
God is using me. I'm an instrument in his hand. Blessed be his name. There's just something beautiful and powerful and anointed about that. Yet, the best of us recognize I've left a lot undone in my life and my ministry. There were opportunities I could have done that I didn't. There there were things I could have taken a hold of that I didn't. There, There were just opportunities that sit... You know, wasn't it said that of uh, Michelangelo, he had some basement somewhere filled with half-finished sculptures? Listen, I know very well that uh, God doesn't have a basement full of half-finished sculptures, but I do. And so why should Jesus thank me, considering the things I've left undone? And it would seem strange for Jesus to thank me or any of us when we consider that anything we do for him is actually because of his empowering in us. I mean, honestly, isn't it funny? I mean, wh- why should he thank me? Because anything I've done for him has been the gift of his goodness and grace. Any strength I've had to impart anything spiritual. I, I maybe could impart carnal things to people all on my own, thank you very much. But, but not spiritual things. Those spiritual things, that has to be empowered and, and, and flowing through me by the Spirit of God. And so what we have done for Him compared to what He has done for us is nothing. Spurgeon said this, Our service put beside Christ's is like one single grain of dust in comparison to the mighty orb of the earth. I think that's probably a pretty apt description. Now, when I think of all that Jesus has given, and when I think of relatively how little I have given back to him, it's all very humbling. I'm going to be very straightforward for you men, though. I have made great sacrifices in, um, to be in ministry. Before uh, I was employed as a pastor. I had two career tracks that I was pursuing, and each one of them probably had enormous potential for me. The first career track that I had was to stock shelves in a grocery store. Now, I want you to know, I was a very good shelf stocker. I really was. And so that that grocery store thing, that had a lot of potential, and I, I, I laid that all down for the feet of Jesus. I just want you to know that. The other thing, which who knows where I could have gone with this, um, I was a school bus driver as well. And those two things together, you know, formed the greatness of the career that I laid down to be a servant in Jesus' kingdom. It's not much, is it? I know some of you, you have different stories. Some of you have actually, you know, walked away from lucrative careers or, or maybe things of acclaim or attention, which maybe don't get national attention, but within your sphere, you were a big man in what you did. And your sacrifice measured against mine seems much, much larger, and I'll admit that. But look, let's face it. Compared to my sacrifice and the sacrifice you've made, even if it was much greater than mine, what is it compared to the sacrifice of Jesus? Listen, sometimes it feels like the life of ministry that we all live is filled with a lot of sacrifices and trade-offs. And it's very easy for us to focus on what we have given up for him and the price that we all have to pay. Now let me say, 
I don't think we need to have a heart of stone about this. It's okay for us to commiserate about that a little bit. And sometimes when we gather together about this, it's, it's a, almost a fit time for us to commiserate a bit about over those things. But shouldn't we always keep it in perspective and refocus our vision and say anything that I've had to endure or give up for him is nothing compared to what he has done for me. Now here's the strange thing about this. There is almost no rational or logical reason why Jesus would thank me for what I have done for him. Yet he will. Now I don't say that anything based on me. I mean the same is true for you as well. But do you remember what it says in Matthew chapter 25? That he says that he will say to his servants, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that the thank you from Jesus that we long to hear? And even though there's nothing compelling him to say that, other than his just pure love and graciousness towards us, man, I'll receive it. I think all of that puts us into the right attitude we need to be in to receive verse 10. So would you look at that with me, verse 10? So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. Jesus told us to take his example of the servant who should not expect praise, who should not expect thanks from his master, and he told us to apply it to ourselves so that in some sense we should consider ourselves unprofitable servants. I mean, what way should we consider ourselves unprofitable servants? Listen, let me tell you first of all what Jesus did not mean. Jesus did not mean that we should serve God with a false sense of humility. Listen, God is really using some of you men in really wonderful and exciting ways. And this whole business, what Jesus tells us in this parable, the point of it is not to get you to look down at your shoes and, oh, shucks, and I guess God doesn't use me at all. That's not the point. It's not to cultivate in you a false humility. No. Nor is it to say... That we do nothing that's good or nothing that's pleasing to God. That's not the idea that we are unprofitable servants. It doesn't mean that we should make unprofitable service our goal. That we should be satisfied with, with a little fruit or, or bad fruit. No, never. Well, good, I'm an unprofitable servant. Well, good, that's what Jesus said I should think of myself. I think it also does not mean that we should be empty of godly ambition and, and the idea of, of really wanting to go forward and serve him. No, I don't think that's it at all. This is what I do think Jesus meant. Is that we should recognize and live daily in the sense that he has done so much more for us than we could ever do for him. Think about it, man. The work of Jesus is perfect. Mine is imperfect. On my best days, my ministry is imperfect. The work of Jesus is always wise. Mine is at least sometimes foolish. The, the work of Jesus is always done with the right motive. Always. I can't say that of mine. And comparatively speaking, 
My work is unprofitable compared to his. Let me say the real point I think Jesus is trying to make in this parable. He wants to remove any sense within us that would say, Jesus, you owe me. Look at how diligently I've served you. I've plowed, I've tended the sheep, I've cooked, I've served. You owe me. You owe me the kind of success or celebrity or ease of life that I've come to expect from you. No. No. Serving Jesus doesn't work like that. We serve him, we love him, we work hard for his people, but never with the idea that Jesus owes us. And if that attitude is allowed to take root in my heart, it will make me a bitter, discouraged, disillusioned servant of God. I've seen men ruined by this. Good servants of God. Yet they kind of felt like God never answered his end of the bargain. You know, they they, they never got the success or celebrity they thought that should belong to them. And they they were wrong enough to think that somehow Jesus owed it to them. In this sense... Jesus owes me nothing. I owe him everything. And after I've done everything for him, I simply stand before him and say, thank you, Jesus. I am an unprofitable servant. Don't you think Paul showed the same attitude in 1 Corinthians 15 where he said, I'm least of the apostles? That was sort of his attitude. Because he understood this, and this is it from verse 10. He says, we've done what is our duty to do. You see, this is the attitude that Jesus wants to bring us to. That what he did for us was out of true and pure love. What we do for him is out of proper gratitude and duty. Now, by the way, this is why it's so important for us as Bible teachers to emphasize what the Bible itself emphasizes, the primacy of what Jesus has done for us. You know, you go through Paul's letters, and isn't that always the pattern? He talks about the great things that God has done for his people and then how we behave in response to that. So we always want to put ourselves in that place of emphasizing what God has done. And what we return to him is simple gratitude and duty. I mean, isn't it just what it's included for us in 1 John? We love him because he first loved us. And when our hearts are right, we live and we act as if we're happy to have the privilege of being allowed to serve God. And in context, we are happy to serve him. Even if it includes some great acts of faith. Including the great act of faith, if you look earlier in the chapter, of forgiving others. Um, So we simply ask Jesus to refocus our vision. He is the master. 
like no other master. He's the master who serves his servants. I still can't get over that one. And then we serve others and we work with others with that same attitude towards them. But at the same time, we personally refuse to serve Jesus with an attitude that says, you owe me. Because he doesn't. And we realize that what Jesus has done for us infinitely surpasses anything we have done, are doing, or will do for him. And then finally, at the end of it all, we are delighted to serve him. Are we not? Do we not simply say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for letting me this unprofitable servant serve you and be an instrument in your hand. It's a tremendous privilege that we should always be grateful for. Father, bless these men. I think of the many different fields, the many different spheres of ministry that they have. And I pray in particular, Lord, that you would deliver them, that you would deliver each of us from an attitude that thinks that you owe us anything because we work hard to serve you. I pray, God, that you would give each one of this in this room a, a refreshed vision of working hard for you and for your people, but never, never with the attitude that it earns us something before you. No, Lord, anything that we do is only our duty to do. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege, and we praise you together this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor David Guzik. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor David's teaching ministry by visiting EnduringWord.com.